WBNE. Hello and welcome to episode 130, all about Lord of the Rings, the musical, being the 130th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And despite all of my numerous messages, she's returned to us yet again. Allie Gordon, thank you so much. Thank I'm just waiting you. one day for you to be like, stop talking to me. You keep inviting me to do things I'm really excited about. And I'm <laughs> so excited to talk about this one today. You could not have picked something I was more excited to talk about genuinely. Oh my gosh. Well, I had to because I'm pretty sure the last time you were on, we were like plotting out a Hobbit musical. And, and we like, were also talking about how I had like a friend who saw this in Toronto. Of course, I followed up with her to get some information. Yes, like, we got to get the inside scoop. We got all the scoop. I'm so excited. Um, And before oh we gosh. start, I want to, I, I didn't mean for this to be a reveal. I was just going to be wearing it when we were here, but then it got cold in my office. So now it is a reveal, but I'm wearing your one and only discontinued <gasps> oh merchandise. <laughs> it's here. Listeners. Allie is wearing the Merry Christmas and a Pippin New Year original design. The OG design. The OG design that Warner Brothers came after me for. Do you have any idea how many people own them? Or is it just me and my friend Josh now? No, it well, I can't if anyone out there listening knows how to work T public as a shop owner, let me know. I'm dying yeah, to I can't, know. I can't figure out how many how to see how many people purchased. Um, an item without like I get an email every time something is purchased so I could go back through my emails and, and like, see look if there at were them. any in that small little window of time yeah exactly this was great though I got this before Thanksgiving so on Thanksgiving when I spent Thanksgiving with my best friend Josh I presented this as a gift and I was like I want you to have it before Christmas so we can both have yeah. it so now that's we are always so shirts. hard when you have like Christmas items that you want to gift to someone but like when you give them it it's like too late. Here's something you like, can't wear yeah, for another year. year. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So no, I gave these now so we can have them for Christmas and New Year's and really be repping it. Oh my it. gosh. Um, yes. Merry it Christmas it and a big hit. New Year it was a big to hit us all. So thank you. <laughs> oh my God. Well, thank you for supporting <laughs> me and getting in there while the getting was good it made before for Warner such a Brothers good story. came in. Because I was like, Josh, I like, I love you. You are the married to my Pippin. This is something I would have gotten you, but now it's double special because it is technically an illegal item. <laughs> And it's yeah, ours. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I really like it's an exclusive. It's very much an exclusive. Uh, oh, that's what I'm talking about. Exclusive I love item. It's like when people own like uh, editions of books that have like crazy like type errors. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like I own that now. So, yeah. Great gift for the holidays. <laughs> much endorsed. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, um, also, I should say, so this episode, I think the way that I've planned things now is going to come out in 2022. So happy New Year, everyone. A Pippin New Year to you all. <laughs> a Pippin New Year to everyone and to all a good night. Just kidding. We have to uh, do the rest, do of, the rest of the episode, episode. before we say good night. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we're here to talk about the Lord of the Rings musical, which began sometime in 2006 in Toronto, and its last performance was in 2008 in London. Um, it's very expensive. It was quite the spectacle. And it is between, depending on the production, it is the length of Fellowship of the Ring to 
I, possibly longer than Return of the King. <laughs> really? Okay, interesting. Uh, from what I heard about the the Toronto production, and not and not because there were technical difficulties, but because of other things that were cut from the show. Apparent apparently, the Toronto production was just extremely long, and then when they moved it to London, they cut down a few things, but it was still like two and a, a half hours. Like the long. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so listeners. If you would like, if you have the time and you want to, there are links in the episode description to all three acts. It is a bootleg. Here's the thing. I don't feel the need to give a disclaimer about bootlegs. I'm all for them because I don't think I've ever talked to someone who's watched. For people who don't know what a bootleg is, it is when someone in the audience illegally films a live performance and this is technically frowned upon, but as someone who, first of all, with Lord of the Rings, the musical, we're never going to see this, th- most no, likely. Never. This has become, this has sort of transcended bootleg and turned into like archival footage. Yes. Like this is the only existing. And uh, also this person who put this bootleg together, like lovingly crafted together yes. many people's bootlegs as well as press footage, as well as behind the scenes footage to make a mm-hmm. three hour cobbled together. I mean, it's crazy. The amount of work, honestly, yes. at this point, it's like, even if it's illegal, they should be allowed to get away with it. Just yes. it's impressive. Sh- uh, <laughs> shout out to YouTube user. I believe it was Lord of the Rings fan. <laughs> and there's only one. So it's him. There's, it's just the one. <laughs> it's just the one guy. It's him. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like we're never going to see Lord of the Rings the musical. And even if we were, like, let's say this was open in London right now, I'm not going to be able to afford a trip to London to see and also th- afford the tickets to see it. And even if I could, I would most definitely do that. There's this argument about bootlegs that like, oh, well, if you see the bootleg, it means you're not going to want to see it live. I would love to see this show live. Are you kidding? Yeah, this made me want to see it live more. Yeah, exactly. It definitely worked. I don't care. Come at me if you don't like bootlegs, but there's a link in the episode description. (laughs) Yeah, enjoy it. It was certainly a labor of love on this person's part. Yes, 100%. At least, um, at the very least, I would recommend watching Act 1. That's definitely its strongest, I'd say. Oh, for sure. Act 1 is like basically Fellowship of the Ring, and then Act 2 and 3 is like... Ah, it's like for- <laughs> we have to do everything else. <laughs> it's like forgetting you had homework due. <laughs> yes, exactly. But Act One is like a great paper that you spent lots of time like revising and looking over and making sure your teacher would like it and checking yes, your and thesis statement, together, yeah. making sure it flows well. And then exactly. and then right, Act right, right. Two and Three are like, oh shit, yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> like, there's all this other stuff on the grading rubric we forgot to put in. <laughs> exactly. And then you're just like making things up, being like, can this essay fit for two different subjects? Can I just make everybody the steward of man? I'm just gonna <laughs> up and combine all these characters into one guy. It's really uh, oh my gosh, wild. Yeah, we're gonna combine all the battles into one battle. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna make this college essay apply to all my colleges. It's uh, wild. A bit of background information to set up the musical: the producer is Kevin Wallace, and his partner Saul Zayants. Zayants. Z- I don't know. I don't know. Um, but his partner is actually the one who, through Middle Earth Enterprises owned the worldwide film, stage, and merchandise rights to J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Cool. So that is how 
I'm assuming like the because I was kind of I was like, how were they even rights to like do a Lord of the Rings musical? This is, you know, uh, when it premiered in Toronto and when they probably started first conceptualizing it. It was only a few years after Return of the King had premiered. The book and lyrics are written by Sean McKenna and Matthew Warchus. Music is by A.R. Raman and... <laughs> there were like three Var- names who were all okay. kind of... And Vartina. There's like two... The the A's in that name have the little dots over the them. The lot type things. Yes. Collaborating with Christopher Nightingale. Those are the people who made this musical happen. It began previews in Toronto on February 4th, 2006 and closed to mixed reviews on September 3rd, 2000... Wait. What did I write? I'm assuming I meant 2006, but I wrote 2003. 2003. It closed it the minute that the movie opened. <laughs> and it transcended time and space and closed three years earlier. No. So it closed only a couple months later, really. It cost approximately 30 million Canadian dollars. Incredible. Incredible. Yes. Absolutely <laughs> insane. Um, Like I said, very mixed reviews. It was supposedly... Over three and a half hours, and then it was rewritten significantly for London and cut down to about three hours. It opened in London on June 19th, 2007, and ran to July 19th, 2008, so a little over a year, which is a lot longer than I thought. I thought... Especially for how much money it was. Yes, it cost 12 million pounds, which is 25 million US dollars. Just wild. I mean, uh, the National Theatre and like the West End in general uh, really does have like a taste for uh, stage spectacle, which is cool. Like, um, I mean, Broadway does too, but like, like the West End like seems to like really love it Mm -hmm. and every year there's something that opens at the national theater that has like the most insane stage craft of all time i think it's cool that they like tried it i like really admire it and uh if you do watch the press footage or the bootleg there is some wild stuff that they managed to accomplish absolutely bonkers today we're going to particularly focus in on the london production because that's where um the bootleg is from, as well as the soundtrack that we listened to. At least I think so. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I could be making this all up and be completely wrong. Eh. Um, (laughs) So in the London production, the lighting was by Paul Pyant, set and costume design by Rob Howell, and sound design by Simon Baker. And just, I wanted to make sure to mention the creatives behind the scenes, you know, because the, the set and the lighting and the sound and the music, I think, is really where... I mean, that's what a that's what a musical is. I was going to say is where the, the show excels. And it's like, but that is a musical. Uh, but but, but like, this one's specifically, truly. Because like I, you can see lots crazy. of shows that are just three people on a stage and be like, that was incredible. Uh, this does not necessarily uh, succeed on the merits of, a, of its adaptation. Uh, yeah. I would say even maybe perhaps the book is its weakest part Mm -hmm. and so like it it really is how it looks how it sounds and how they've like chosen to transport us into this crazy magical world but there's there's silks and there's stilts and there's three layered stages that all spin and people come yeah enter from the inside of the stage uh, the hamilton like double rotating 
circle. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, that turntable. It's like lame. Turntable. That's you. it. Hamilton. Got screw you. 100. percent They're like, what about yeah. three turntables of varying sizes? And, and they, they go all up and down. Raise on different platforms. Crazy. People might die. We don't know. <laughs> exactly. We're gonna put our a- we're gonna put our actors on stilts and with masks on, and they can't see anything. And also, we're gonna put fog everywhere, so they really can't see. Truly, our ladies Nuts. are gonna enter from the ceiling. It's all crazy. So, and then our last little piece of news is that on November 11th, 2013, Playbill announced that the show would be revived for a world tour in 2015. The first location Mm. for the tour would be in New Zealand, but dates and other locations were never announced. And as of now... Th- there's just no <laughs> so further many years news. later. Yeah, can't imagine we're ever getting that one. If yeah, so if they were to revive it, you know, I would say maybe it's not totally impossible, but most likely not going to happen. I will if they revive it in New Zealand, then like okay, I'll go. Uh, Twist my hundred percent, a hundred percent. I would spend. That'll just be my like Hobbit vacation. You I know, would spend I'll do an, the whole thing. an inordinate amount of money to go to New Zealand to see the show, to walk all the places, to do all the mm-hmm. things, and call it just like the coolest and most unnecessary vacation of my life. Yes, a hundred percent. What do you mean do unnecessary? Uh, Extremely necessary. necessary. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, any show that's expensive needs to be either uh, sort of unequivocally exceptionally good or have a huge audience. Because like, for example, not anymore because they've cut down on both the stage tech and the orchestra, but it used to be extremely expensive to run Phantom of the Opera. But like whether or not you think it's good, it had an audience. It had always had an audience. It had an audience in America. It had an audience across seas. It had an audience internationally. They translated it into a bunch of languages. So nobody cares if it costs a lot of money for the chandelier to fall or for the boat to come on stage. Because... Do you all know how many times Cats has been revived? Oh, or... bazillion. You know, you know, like they made it into a movie. Is it that great of a musical and a show? I don't, I don't, I, I don't know because I've never seen Cats. No, I, but but also like some shows run for a really long time because they have such a low overhead cost that it like doesn't. As long as there's an audience, it doesn't have to be even a huge audience. Like right now, the longest yeah. running show on Broadway uh, is um, Chicago. Is Chicago, this Chicago yeah. revival that is like uh, basically bare like, bones. Ladies and black leotards and chairs. 100%. There's some scaffolding, which I'm sure takes a little bit of maintenance, but the band is small. The set is basically non-existent. There's like hardly even props. They like mime a lot of stuff. Uh, it's the, the overhead for that show is like nothing. So as long as an audience shows up, that show can run for an eternity. Whereas a show yeah. like this needs to be the biggest success of all time <laughs> yeah it needs to be hamilton exactly every single every day night for like five years exactly you know? uh, yeah, yeah. and it's uh not and you can tell why like uh, not to get like not to jump too far immediately into like the quality of the show uh but i like something that i really enjoyed doing when i was doing some research was reading like all the youtube comments and all the reviews and all the blogs of people who were like not like theater reviewers but like people who love lord of the rings or either mm-hmm. or people who like love theater but don't do this professionally sorry the loudest siren is passing my window <laughs> everyone was like it is incredible to look at it is not quite faithful enough to any adaptation to really hit the heartstrings of people who like love Lord of the Rings hardcore. And mm-hmm. for people who don't know Lord of the Rings, it doesn't do a good enough job explaining what the hell's going on. So the story like, is, yeah. The, the story is like completely lost in the sauce. Uh, the music 
vacillates between the best song you ever heard and completely immemorable. Yeah. It, it's just like kind of right in the middle of the road and not in not a good way. It's like not nerdy enough to ap- appeal to people who like That's adore it. That's a great it, point. Yeah. And it's not broad enough to appeal to people who like don't understand it. In a way that like the movies, whether or not you like love the way they chose this particular it's thing. Its primary audience is me where <laughs> I know Lord of the... I already know the story. I love musicals. I especially love like being mesmerized totally. you know by live theater and by like looking and being like how did like how did they pull that off how does that work you know so i think i am the t- i am the audience just right. me well and also the like theater. you enjoy being able to like look at an adaptation and critique where you think it succeeded and failed and that is also not true of necessarily people who like love lord of the rings because some people might just get angry and be like why did they skip that that's not very good that's right, not what yeah. i like they skip my favorite part where was helms deep and then they leave angry also because they also didn't get what they wanted which is like they thought they'd see all their favorite parts and they didn't get any of those yeah. Oh, I went in expecting to see none of my favorite parts. <laughs> I was like, it's a musical. They're probably going to cut everything. <laughs> and and they did. And they really did. And yeah, they really did. First, I want to read a few reviews since we're kind of like talking about the reception and, and whatnot. Let's see. Michael Billington of The Guardian gave it four out of five stars. Okay. Um, says Rob Howell's imaginative design transforms the whole theater into a booksy undergrowth. The barrier between stage and audience is constantly broken down so that's very positive great and then this is like his closing thing that is just like i don't know funny quirky whatever did the show convert me to tolkien's world absolutely not you won't find me sport this is just hilarious because we're american you won't find me sporting t-shirts like some hippy dippy american students proclaiming gandalf for president And I shall be quite happy to avoid in the future the manufactured myth of Middle Earth. But I had a perfectly good time at Drury Lane. And if Tolkien's trilogy is to be attempted as a stage spectacle, I don't see how it could have been done better. Okay, wow. First of all, I am wearing a Lord of the Rings t-shirt right now. So I felt like a personal (laughs) attack. It does not say Gandalf for president. No, it does not say Gandalf for president. But nonetheless, my jaw dropped. I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Wait a minute. Sorry. You're a hippy dippy American. I I will say one of my favorite hippy dippy things that is my dream to own is those. uh, Do you know about like the Frodo Lives pins? from the 60s no. okay what is that back in the days when uh it was still a spoiler whether what was going to kind of like happen in lord of the rings uh like people when it wasn't like a huge franchise that everybody knew and it was like hey this is a book you might not have read it was written in the 40s okay cool frodo became sort of like a counterculture icon for like going against the man this was like during um vietnam and when people were like mm-hmm. un- like unwillingly drafted into a war they didn't fight and it sort of became a thing of just like dude just like frodo just a little guy all these guys come into his house and are like you're fucking going to war and he's like i don't want to do that and they're like tough titties and then he goes and at the end he still lives and he prevails and like nobody can crush his spirit nobody can crush that guy he did it and so there were these like pins that would say Frodo lives and it was like it was meant to be like sticking it to the man and I would love to own one more than basically anything in the world so that is take that so... from this hippy dippy Lord of the Rings t-shirt wearing asshole <laughs> <laughs> but I love so that cool what a like fun little piece of Man, see, it just makes me, because, like, I make fun of Tolkien all the time, right? He writes so many songs and so much detail, and we don't need it. <laughs> but then, like, the way that what he created permeated so many layers of culture 
and reach so many different people. It just makes me mad. <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful, but it makes me mad because I'm like, uh, no, you're like a geography nerd who wrote a bunch of poetry. No, but it, like some every generation finds something about it to cling to. There's a teeny tiny little Wikipedia article about it. The term first became popular following release of the Ballantine Books paperback edition of the books in 1965, exposing them to a larger number of readers. And so it just like happened to coincide with this countercultural movement. movement. And it was just like basically like, screw you. You might like drag me from my home to go like enlist me in a, a global war that is not my problem to that fight. we don't need to be in. <laughs> but I will prevail and like Frodo and like, hey, by the way, Frodo lives. Like you don't expect it, but that is what happens at the end of that book. And I love that so much. That's I wanna, wonderful. I, Listeners, if any of you out there happen to, if you by any chance have a Frodo lives pin, I don't oh. know, share, share it on or social media. Like, tag us. weird uncle owns one. Yeah. Or if, yeah. Like your grandpa or yeah, your, ask you know, your, grandpa. your dad who got you into Lord of the Rings. Because if he doesn't want it, I will buy it from your grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) Ask your grandpa if he wants to make a hundred bucks. And honestly, that is a promise. I'll give you $100 for a genuine Frodo Lips pen. Anyway, we really got off topic. But <laughs> no, that listeners, in case you can't tell already, this episode is going to be a lot more unstructured. We're not going to go through the musical in the way that we usually do by going in like chronological order. I say that, but I do. The first thing we're going to talk about, I do want to talk about like the plot and how they um, Condensed adapted it. And condensed it and like what made the cut, what didn't, you know. It starts off, you know, pretty normally, pretty much like all the way up through like the prancing pony, really. There's, you know, it's very, it is very condensed. I I don't want to say rushed. It's just very quick paced um, and moves very swiftly through, you know, Frodo, uh, uh, through Bilbo's birthday, Gandalf coming back, telling him about the ring, embarking on this journey. Uh, we get at the introduction of Saruman and we see the Black Riders and then they go to the Prancing Pony, have a wonderful song and dance. Ooh, one of the best. Oh my gosh, one of the best. We'll definitely talk about the songs uh, in a second. Um, I say in a second, it'll be like an hour later. <laughs> an hour. <laughs> Frodo, when he puts the ring on, uh, the riders appear and this is where this kind of takes the place of Weathertop where he gets hurt here. Um, rather than later, and then Strider right. comes out and is they like, go "Hello, right to the elves. I've been watching you." Yeah, yeah, immediately go to the elves. Arwen and Aragorn sing a song, fall in love or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of unclear <laughs> if they've always been in love or if they meant that like in a fate type way. Yeah, like they don't really so... specify uh, if they grew up as each other's cousins or whatever. But they're just sort of like, "I've always loved you," and it's like in a real way or in a in a, in a love song way. Like in a I always knew I'd meet you and love you way or have we met before? It's very unclear. Yeah. (laughs) And it never really gets any clearer. Nope. Then we have, again, very condensed version of the Council of Elrond. The Fellowship gets sent off. They're pretty much they pretty much like go straight to Moria. I think there there is a scene where they're um, I think like going through the mountains and it's snowy oh i do remember that because legolas and gimli legit like get into a fight yeah that was, <laughs> and that was gandalf fun. has to break them up <laughs> i kind of liked that yeah i thought that was fun and it's one of the only things legolas will do in the entire show yeah exactly so i hope you enjoyed it <laughs> and then then they go to moria I'm assuming they it's kind of it was kind of hard to follow the plot of the bootleg and also like the Wikipedia synopsis is very short. So I'm assuming they find, you know, Balan's tomb and whatnot. Gimli sings a lament for Moria, which is one of the only things that Gimli will do or oh, say. Yes. But it's very lovely. <laughs> it is a very nice moment. Then, you know, the Balrog 
Gandalf gets taken down, and that's the end. That's where Act One ends. Yeah, because they need time to clean up the theater because they cover the entire theater in that's black right. pieces of paper using these giant industrial fans. In the bootleg, there's like a audience POV shot. I'm obsessed with those. It looks like Silence of the Lambs because it's like a night cam, so it's like everybody's like yeah. green and black. Like remember when um paranormal activity was being released and like that was the main promo was like the audience reactions yes. from when it premiered at yes. like Sundance or something. Except that in this one it's just like old women like nodding their head when Bilbo disappears. Like, oh yeah. Yeah oh my god I was Yeah the Balrog is really cool and they fire yeah like confetti that I guess is just supposed to be like ash. Yes. Um, and it's like, like into the audience. So much of it that they had to like stop and clean it up in that intermission. Act two opens with the fellowship in Lothlorien. Gladriel descends on some aerial uh, silk, which we'll, we'll get more into for sure. Then they leave Lothlorien and Boromir immediately is like, hey, that ring though? Uh, and Frodo's like, no. And then Boromir yells at him and Frodo runs away. Things proceed as we know them to proceed, basically. And then usually where, you know, where like Boromir dies and Mary and Pippin are taken and Sam and Frodo go off and it's like, okay, that's where fellowship ends. And then this continues on. So it's kind of like, what is happening? This isn't what we're used to. Yeah. Then everything happens really fast from there. Yes. Uh, so fast, so condensed. We don't really see for like Frodo being theoretically the main character. We don't really see much of him and Sam, you know, because we I guess there's like not much to report. on Yeah, their, end of the story. their next scene, they're just like, we're tired. And then Gollum attacks them. Yeah. And then Merry and Pippin get one scene with with a uh, tree beard. Come and the in. Ents, but that doesn't really pay off either. It, it as a person who knows the plot, I have a hard time recounting to you the plot that they put together because I, I really yes. did find it. So confusing. <laughs> so I had to like go through and, and write it down because I was like, I think I know what I'm talking about. But the more I thought about it, I was like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So yeah, Frodo and Sam go off. They run into Gollum. Gollum joins them. And then Gimli, Legolas and Aragorn go to it's just called the City of Kings. Yeah. So whether this is uh, Minas Tirith or Edoras, Gondor, Rohan, we don't know. Because he will meet neither Theoden nor... And they meet a nor, character yeah. who I don't know. It, I thought it... I was like, I guess this is supposed to be Theoden because they're saying like, hey, Saruman's built up this army and he's coming for your city. You need to fight. And he's despairing and doesn't really want to do anything. And then Aragorn, I guess is the one who the plot line of like Saruman using Grima Wormtongue to to manipulate Theoden is not existing at no. all here. Because this guy who's like at least I looked it up so I was like, who is this? He, they call him the steward of man. And so he just basically yeah. represents all of the kings. And he's not Theoden, but he's also not Denethor. Yeah, but so that's what confused me. Wikipedia says like one of the changes made from the Toronto to London was the addition of the character Denethor. And I was like, where? Yeah, where? <laughs> and so I was like, I guess th this is supposed to be that character. Point being, whoever this character is, they rally him enough so that they uh, so that they fight and start battling off the orcs and Urukai. And then in the middle of the battle, this was really cool. 
Gandalf returns as Gandalf the White and like the way the platforms lower down and he is like revealed in the yeah. center as Gandalf the White is pretty cool. And now that and like I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? Having Gandalf the White be revealed as like returned at the end of Helm's Deep. That might have been a cool move. Yeah. Because all he really does is reveal himself to Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas. They go and he does, you know, do the exorcism with Thaden. But after that, he disappears. Yeah, that's true. That was like, it was like the one thing in this musical that I was like, you know what? That actually makes a lot of sense. That's a pretty cool thing that they like reworked. If anybody has seen Lion King on stage, the way that Pride Rock kind of like spirals out of the stage, that's like the closest stage magic that I can think of to these platforms, except that you'd have to picture Pride Rock having three levels and they all can spin. But yeah. it's that similar thing where it's sort of like corkscrews out of the bottom of the yeah. stage, which is That's very a good cool. way to describe it. Merry and Pippin somehow wind up with the Ents, who are very disappointingly, I thought, from what I could tell, the Ents were just actors on stilts. Yeah, wearing green beards, basically. <laughs> they had done some like really cool stuff so far, like with the um, Black Riders and the horses and the Balrog, and they have this really cool animatronic for Sheila later on. Yeah. And then the, the Ents were just like guys on stilts. Yeah, with weird voice changers. Oh, I could not understand them for the life not of a me word. too. Do you know when you're watching in, like an interview and somebody has like, chosen to protect their identity and it's sounds like it sounds like this so I can like stay anonymous. Like yeah. that's what they all sounded like and it was not good and very distracting and uh, I didn't understand a word. Yeah. Not a word. And there was one point where they were speaking Intish and I was like oh that's why I didn't understand. <laughs> I don't even know if I registered that. I think I might have just been like uh huh. There, there was a moment where Mary or Pippin is like what did they say? It, like he had said something like really really long and then they're like what does that mean? And then Treebeard says, it means no. You know, <laughs> typical int humor, I guess. Yeah. My problem with the ints is that, like, the Treebeard act, he was talking way too fast for what ints are supposed to be like, you know? Yeah. There was a lot of, I, I would say in general, acting uh, of paces that I didn't understand. Occasionally, Gandalf would talk faster than any human has ever talked and then yes. he would slow down and it would take him 40 seconds to say three words it, it all perplexed me this happened to quite a bit across the board like everyone had a moment of it where they were guilty yeah they convince the the ints to join them in the battle against Saruman at Isengard. So in this battle at Helm's Deep where Gandalf is showing up as Gandalf the White now, the ints are also showing up. And then they give, at the very end after they've won, they give Saruman the chance, I guess, to join them. And then that's when Gandalf is like, your staff is broken. And I don't know what happens to Saruman after that. Me neither. <laughs> I don't know if they just like, if it's like, take him away, boys, or if he died. Yeah, not uh, not sure. Unclear. Yeah, don't know. But so he's Saruman gone. disappears. Yeah. <laughs> then we, that's right, we go back to Frodo and Sam and they're resting and they sing the sweetest, best oh, song in the musical God. that yes. we'll, we'll talk about once we get to talking about the music. The straight up true romantic ballad. Oh my God. It is so good. So they're having this very sweet bonding moment and Gollum is listening. Then act two ends with like a Gollum Smeagol 
fight duet song basically <laughs> yeah a um, one man and duet ends, and it ends with him being like "Ooh, we'll take them to her and we all know who you know that is that's Shelob. um and so that's how act two ends act three they send orcs into the audience <laughs> at the beginning of act three which i would have been like i'm leaving how Bye. about this i'm gonna tell you what my friend who saw it in toronto told me those are yes. those orcs were in the audience for all of the intermission between acts two and three. And if you tried to get up out of your seat, they yelled at you and roughed you up and made you sit back down. Then what's the I'm trying to think of like what because act I was like, why do they have this act break other than like mood? it's not necessary. Like, I don't know why. I don't know. But it's it not was like, like they're it was like a short one. It was like a 10 minute break. And I guess if you had, like, an emergency, you could leave. But genuinely, they, like, cleaned up the stage a little bit from whatever had, like, that needed to be reset. And these orcs would just patrol the audience and be like, sit back down. And I would have been like, I don't care if you cut my head off. I'm going to piss my pants. Like, you have to let me go pee. Like, just since we're talking about this, I want to share my insider tip with everyone listening. If you attend the theater at any point in your life, there's always a massive line at intermission at the bathroom. So here's the trick. The moment the curtain falls on act one, like the moment the last note of the like act one finale plays, jump up and run to the bathroom. Yes. Don't even wait for the lights to come up because here's what happens. Act one ends. Everyone sits there. You turn to your friend. You say, oh, wow, that was great. And everyone kind of stands up and stretches. And then someone's like, oh, do you need to go to the bathroom? I'll go to the bathroom. Yes. And they'll congregate on the stairs. It's too late. Yes. It's too late. It's too late. But this trick has not failed me since. I I agree with you. So act three opens with Aragorn giving a a speech, a pre-battle speech of some kind. And then Arwen shows up and then they make out Mm -hmm. and sing a song. And it's unclear if she's like actually there or if this is just him like imagining imagining her. No clue. Um, The way that Wikipedia describes this plot point is Aragorn's motivation here to win the battle is to become king and only then will he win Arwen's love. Okay. And like, yeah, and so she comes in and they sing a song and then they, they just make out a lot. And <laughs> that's such a bizarre then, thing because like the whole thing is that he's like, I don't really want to care if I'm king. It's not really my thing. And they're like, dude, come on, please. So it is weird that in this version, he's like, and also being king is super important to me. and I'm here to do it. But, like, the thing is, is that I didn't get that Me from neither. the song or watching it. That's just what the Wikipedia synopsis says. No, uh, I would say that, like, they shortchange most characters. But the biggest difference between watching the movies and watching the stage play is, like, this stage play could not have been less interested in what was going on with Aragorn. Whereas the, oh movies, are like, the movies are like, hey, do you know this Literally. guy who came in uh, two-thirds of the way through the movie? He's the new main character. Honestly, so, screw everybody else. Frodo and Sam and Gollum, I would say, are really the only characters that you have, like, any meaningful time with, you Completely. Know? I know that, like, whenever we talk about any particular adaptation of Lord of the Rings, there's always a discussion of just, like, okay, this is the most romantic version. No, this is the romantic, most romantic version. No, this cartoon has them basically kissing. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's always, yeah. like, what adaptation is the one that has Frodo and Sam in love the most? This musical, because it cuts out basically every other character, 
has just has essentially said like, anyway, so here are these two guys. And when and when Frodo goes away to the die, Undying Lands, his cousins aren't even going to like be there. It's just going to be him saying goodbye to this one guy. It has like inadvertently by cutting all the other characters basically been like, anyway, they're in love. They, and they're in a relationship. Rosie Cotton here in this musical has a much bigger part than she does yeah, in the speaking movie. speaking lines, God <laughs> she, forbid. Yeah, she has speaking lines like in the first act. After Bilbo's birthday party, we see Rosie and Sam talking. I'm pretty sure they put her there to be like, remember, as you watch the following two hours, Sam is straight. <laughs> yes, even though, even though the only songs they sing will be basically romantic ballads Love with each songs. other. Oh my God. Where were we? Oh yeah, I was talking, <laughs> I yeah that's right. Know. We were talking about how Aragorn and Arwen nah, I gotta go to Mount Doom or whatever. I don't know. Gollum is leading Frodo and Sam into Mordor. Frodo and Sam get into a fight. Frodo yells at Sam and Sam... And like he's very mean. He's like very he's like much meaner here than he is in the movie. Like he calls him stupid. Yeah. Like I don't think Peter Jackson Frodo The script ever was weird said stupid. And also the actor sort of had a, a a weird sort of like bluntness. Like the way he played the character of Frodo mm-hmm. kind of actually reminded me a little bit of like what I would characterize Bilbo as. It's just sort of like no nonsense. Yeah. And Sam's actor Honestly, it felt to me like he was doing a Sean Astin, Samwise Gamgee impression the whole time. I think it'd be hard not to. I know. To the musical's credit, they were very much like, we are not, you know, this is our own thing. We're not trying to, like, copy the movies. There are a lot of moments where I'm like, oh, my God, seriously? Like, not even, you know, you didn't include this line? Like, that's a really famous line, like, from the books and the movies, you know? Or, like, oh, that's such an iconic movie moment. And they, did they like, glossed right over it, you know? So they were very much, like, the style of the characters and the costumes and, like, the way that they act and, like, the look of the set is very much, like, its own thing, you know? Which I appreciate that they weren't just trying to, like, copy what the movies looked like. Yeah, it's not, like, a remounting of anything. It is just sort of perplexing. Because it's like, I guess that's Frodo. He doesn't act like what I think he acts like, but I'm being told it's Frodo, so it's Frodo. It's Frodo. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I wasn't totally impressed with really any of the actors in this. Yeah. Actually, I was kind of impressed with Gollum. I was going to say, if I could see the show, I'm sure I would be totally blown away by the Gollum actor just because of like the physicality that's involved with that. Yeah, but, like, he makes his entrance literally vertically crawling oh, down the proscenium I should, yeah, I of should the mention, stage. Act two, before it opens... Gollum is climbing like upside down on like the the arch of the stage. There's some like lattice work or something. Yeah. He crawls like vertically down. It's very crazy. Oh my crazy. God, it's awful. It's so, <laughs> cr- I mean like it's, I, I'd say that in the sense of like it's Gollum, it's creepy and like they, like the vibe they were going for with that. They accomplished. They hit it. Yeah. yeah. No, it, he he was good. I liked him. Uh, yeah. He did basically sing like a Jekyll and Hyde style duet with himself. I wrote that down. It had big confrontation vibes, 100%. (laughs) Because a while ago on TikTok, the Jekyll and Hyde confrontation song was trending, and it was like, I live inside you forever. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Uh, Yeah. It, he did that. And he had the sword and he had to point the sword at his own throat and then he had to point it away from him. He had a lot to do. Um, I would say he was the person who impressed Major me Major props most. to him. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, he leads Frodo into Shelob's lair. And again, something that like I just wish I could see 
is Sheila because you can kind of hear the audience reaction in the bootleg. Yeah, as it's crawling out of the darkness. As like she is like slowly emerging in the background. Ugh, so spooky. I, I get like just like very impressed that like they made such a like cool, effective animatronic of Shelob. So she attacks, Sam comes in, saves the day, and instead of Frodo being like paralyzed and taken off by the orcs, he wakes up and then Sam helps him to Mount Doom. Yeah, they go right to Mount Doom from Immediately. There. And then there's also there's no Battle of Pelinor Fields. Guys, no. my two favorite people Faramir and Eowyn oh, do not gone. exist in this world. <laughs> gone. If you they're like gone. those characters, absolutely screw you and gone. your ticket price. <laughs> so we have no, we have no Battle of Pelennor Fields. We like this is the moment where I was like, oh, this is like supposed to be the battle at the Black Gates. Like this is the last battle. So we have no Witch King, Army of the Dead, Denethor's Pyre, none of that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at a certain point, and. As you know, it obviously pains me to say this, but like if you're going to cut all that stuff, like why are Mary and Pippin even in the script? Do you know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like it's yeah. kind of crazy. And then it gets to a point of like, well, then why do we even have Gimli and Legolas? That's what and, I'm like, saying. It's Aragorn like it's like the more you think about it, the more you're like that character could go, that character could go. Like if they're not going to be there to do the thing that they do, like why does this character even exist? Literally like yeah. in the very beginning when they're leaving the Shire, Mary and Pippin are like, don't forget us, you're baby cousins. And then they don't say another line for about an hour. And then, <laughs> and then they don't do anything else for the rest of the show. So it's like at a certain point, as much as Basically, pains me to say, like I don't like get get him out of there, cut him for time, baby. I know it's so I know, and it's like sad. It's, it's very much like a snowball effect. Of like once you cut one character, and you're like, well, we don't need them because this isn't happening. It just it's like why do you from there. exist at all? They're having this final battle. Meanwhile, like in the background. I think what's happening is that there's like a red sheet or something. And so you can see Frodo and Sam. Right, like in silhouette. Yeah. Yeah. Then Galadriel is there and she starts singing a song. And I don't know what her purpose is to be there. Yeah. Wikipedia says she's there to like bless everyone in their battle. So she's supposedly using some elf magic here to assist things along. Okay. Interesting. Especially since her last line was like, I have to go. I have to diminish now. I will diminish and go into the west. Because she did say that line, basically. And then she's like, actually, I forgot my shoes. But while I'm here, I might as well bless you. Yeah. Yeah. So they have the battle going on. Sam and Frodo reach the cracks of doom. Frodo doesn't want to throw the ring in. Gollum shows up, steals the ring, and falls into the crack of doom. And what's cool is that... They have a, I guess they had like a body double. Yeah. And Gollum, so he falls into like the stage has lifted up, the tiers and the platforms have lifted up. And then in the middle is this hole, I guess, you know, kind of like a volcano, I guess, you know. And Gollum falls in it. And then from above, you see another Gollum who I, I guess is they're using a body double here. And he's like falling in slow motion, kind of like how we see in the movie. Um, as he's like falling to his demise, um, which I thought was cool. Effect. I liked it, and I liked Galadriel singing eerily over it. I liked the, I liked it all. I think now that you say it, I think Galadriel was there just to like set the atmosphere. Yeah, just for you some know? color. Yeah, but yeah, you it, you 
sort of like on the note of what we were just talking about, like Galadriel has become a major character in this show, like a much bigger character than Arwen or any of the other hobbits. A- or... Yeah, Arwen doesn't exist no, in this Awen, version. Absolutely yeah. not. Now there's 100%. only two women in Lord of the Rings. Sorry, three. Sheila. Don't forget Rosie. Oh my God, Rosie. She had lines. Four. <laughs> okay, we got good. Four, y'all. Okay. Wow. Honestly. Problem fixed. What was I even talking about? (laughs) So the ring is destroyed. Yay. And I was like, oh, my God, are we going to have like eagle animatronics? No, they just like leave, reunite, and they're all fine. Yeah. (laughs) Um, There's like, I guess, a a coronation ceremony for Aragorn and everyone says their goodbyes. They go back to the Shire. Much to my surprise, they incorporated the scouring of the Shire into this version. A shock. I was shocked. Well, I was also I was already screaming because not like two seconds before Gandalf had a line about how he needs to go visit an old friend in the woods. Tom Bombadil. Oh, yeah. That was just for the fans. Are we going to get a Bombadil appearance? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We don't see Tom no. Bombadil. That's like when you're, it's like when your favorite band like teases a song they haven't played in like 25 years, but they don't actually play the song. Yeah. That's what that was. But, like, that was like even for true just to fans have him only. mentioned and acknowledged. I was happy. And then, the, yeah, and they arrive at the Shire and discover that everything is bad. And I was like, oh, my God, are we going to have, like, the full, you know, Hobbit uprising? And, oh, that's why I don't know what happened to Saruman, because he's still alive. And he's going to show up again. No, I think it's just implied that, like, this is the ruin that Saruman caused. And now we have to rebuild it rather than, like, them going into charging into action like they do in the book. And it also makes me feel like another part of it was that like, if you watched the plot play out on stage as you did, you'd be like, what's Frodo going on about being so sad? Like, that journey seemed to take about five minutes and everything was was relatively okay. (laughs) And he, oh, that's the other thing is, End of Act Two, he and Sam are, they're singing a beautiful song. They're snuggling together. <laughs> he's in a somewhat happy mood. Yes, so I'm saying. Act like three begins and he's like miserable. trudging along. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Miserable, depressed. Sam is like, can I like, I'll carry it for you. He immediately turns and I'm like, literally five minutes ago, you guys were like about you were, to make like, out. You were like fully cuddling. Like, yeah, 100%. <laughs> no, I, I think that like the weird like nod to scouring of the Shire is genuinely because like otherwise you'd be like, I do not understand why Frodo is going away forever. Like that did not seem so crazy. And so like to see that his home had changed and that like for some people they had the energy to rebuild it and for others they didn't. I, I think I, that's yeah. my like writer brain trying to mm-hmm. solve that issue. Because yeah, not having Sauron there or worm tongue or anything um don't understand it but yeah that's that's my theory appreciate because it was like just left out from peter jackson's trilogy i appreciate that they incorporated those details from the book because sam also mentions during the show that galadriel gifted him a box of soil from her garden which is exactly what happens in the book yeah and they use that that to rebuild the shire and there are like all these flowers that pop up and there's like beautiful you know music in the background and i'm like oh my god am i getting emotional over (laughs) this freaking like uh low qu- audio quality bootleg of a failed 2007 lord <laughs> of the rings musical the set that they make for the like rebuilt shire is really beautiful it's like these like red poppies it kind of reminds me of the scene in um wizard of oz, wizard of oz? yeah it's very pretty it's like these like like yeah. like hobbit high big flowers and it's, it's yeah. a very nice like ending it's um, very nice and beautiful yeah sam and rosie marry and have a billion babies <laughs> then galadriel Gandalf, 
Elrond and Bilbo show up and they're like, hey, we're going to the Undying Lands. Want to come? Frodo's like, that sounds yeah. great. <laughs> um, and then Frodo and Sam have a very, they, they hug very heartfelt goodbye. And then we say, we say so long and the show ends. But like all the stuff that, in, at least in the movie, left to Sam in a note that is read like, it, it, you know, I was gonna say posthumously, which I guess is sort of correct. Um, <laughs> he like says it to his face in like a long and extended romantic moment where he's like, but you have to stay here like you have so much more to live like you are so special and I love you so much but I have to go and then they have like a long hug and then he goes and then you're like very long was hug. his family here like did anyone else come and they, it's seemingly no also while they're like having this heartfelt goodbye in the background the music is playing from the song that they sing together yes and I'm like this is beautiful. It was really beautiful. It was inadvertently or no, one of the more romantic adaptations of Lord of the Rings I have ever seen. Oh my God. Absolutely amazing. It, yeah. It like blew every other, like Arwen and, and Aragorn might as well have not have been in the show. Like they never got a romantic reprise of their love ballad. Like, ugh. no, that's what, that's technically what the song is that they sang together at the beginning of act three. I believe song, uh, because Arwen in Rivendell sings this song. And so this was technically the reprise where like Aragorn is joining in with her. I remember nothing about the I song itself. So actually, this is a great transition now. That so that was very quick. I say very quick. I think we talked for <laughs> that was an hour minutes. recap of the plot <laughs> about the plot. Um, so now let's talk about the the music. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, some of it slaps hard. I would say. I think you really summed it up by saying that like. There are some really memorable, great moments, and then everything else is just, I don't remember. Completely. At all. One of the more memorable songs that is really catchy is the one that the Hobbits sing at the inn, and I think it's called Cat in the Moon. Yes. And um, it starts- I'm just going to go ahead and say every every song involv- involving a Hobbit is- Great. Yeah, it's a banger. I, I uh, yeah, you know? agree. But it starts as if somebody on TikTok was making fun of musicals because literally the barkeep is like, well, if you want to stay here, you're going to have to entertain us. How about with the song? And they're like, okay. And then they sing a song. Like, that's what people who don't like musicals but think happens in musicals. The thing is, is that like, that's low key how it happened in the book where Frodo, yeah, something happens where like they're about to spill the beans and in order to distract everyone, Frodo's like, here's a song. Yeah. I mean, it just was funny because like I don't I don't mind it because, again, I like musicals, so I inherently buy into the form. But like yeah. when I talk to people who don't like musicals, they're always like, you know how they're always just like. I'm going to the store. I'm going to the store. I'm going to the store. Like this musical has many moments you, of those. <laughs> I'm just being are you like, talking about that video of the girl who's just doing a oh bunch. Oh my god, she I'm just has like those. A, it's the where it's like you're you'll never be popular. Yeah, and then the music kicks in, and then it's like, cause you're a lesbian. That's my favorite. Actually, my favorite one of that whole thing is. And where do you think you're going, Grizabel? I have it basically <laughs> memorized. Hey, you listen here, Mister. I'm not gonna be an orphan. I'm gonna get adopted. Bye, you rich man. But yes, that's like, that is what musicals sound like to people who don't like musicals. So there are definitely moments of the show that are parodyable or seem like yeah. a person making fun of how a person would write a musical. That being one of them. Yes. Yeah, so that song, I should have the title written down. I think it's called, yeah, called like The Cat and the Moon. Cat and the Moon? 
I think so, because it seemed to be about a cat fid- fiddling to the moon. The song that Frodo sings in the book is something something about like the man in the moon and the cow jumped over the moon and yeah. some other stuff. This the is cat in the moon is what oh, it's called. Oh, wait, can I say my one random thing that I like, that is like a pull from the books that I was like, yeah, is that in the very beginning when Gandalf was like, Sam, you're going to go with Frodo on this big, dangerous journey. Sam's like, to see elves? Am I going to see elves? Shut the up. Am I going to see elves? Like, I was like, elves? oh my god, a character trait that like finally made it in from the books. I like love that. It's really amazing how like there are some details from the book that the musical did more of <clears throat> than Peter Jackson. Yes. And that was one yeah. that really stuck out to me. And I just like loved it. I was like, oh my god, we finally have a Sam who's just like absolutely horned up to see the elves today. Yes. <laughs> it really made elves. me happy. Yeah. What else? There, there's the. What are the songs that are good? The song that Gimli sings in Moria is good. Gone, lost, born, despair, for the that once was it's like basically Tolkien adapted from the page. It's like mm-hmm. just poetry. And he sings like a duet with like Gandalf about like falling empires. And it's very beautiful. Yeah, when um, I'm assuming they have just like walked into the tomb of Moria, uh, the tomb of Balin or whatever. Yeah. So it is a great song and a great moment, but it just made me want because I was like, what a strange thing. Like at that point in the musical, I don't even think Aragorn had sung. No. Like I don't think he had done any singing yet. And I was like, what a strange thing that like we're not really having a lot of like individual character moments but like Gimli gets one you know I would say that that they did not give a shit about Aragorn in this like at all yeah they really didn't yeah. like he was there because they needed somebody to be king and to be in love with Arwen because, Ar- because I mean he was there because they knew that you can't not have Aragorn in the story you Correct. know but that was it. Like, it, it it was very disinterested with him as a character. I think, um, now that I think about it, I think the only time he sings is that duet with Arwen. Yeah, I actually read a it's review. It's really odd. From, I think, a blogger who was saying that, like, he is known as being a really great singer. And they were like, why would they hire this guy to play a character who sings, like, half a song when yeah. that's, like, his clearest strength? And I was like, that is true. Also, Arwen was the actress Rosalie Craig who was very young in this, but recently originated the role of Bobby, the female Bobby and company in the West End before it transferred to Broadway. I have never heard of that. What? But that sounds cool. Okay, well, there's a there there's the Sondheim musical Company is on Broadway right now. And for the first time ever, right. the lead character has become a female Bobby as opposed to the oh, traditional okay. male Oh, okay. I did not know that. But she originated that's very that role. Cool. Yes. That's very cool. Yes. Uh, so that was cool to be like, oh, my God, that's you 10 years ago. I thought our, I thought she was great. Weird eyebrows they painted onto her, but that wasn't her fault. They kind of made her look old. Yeah, they gave her like high squiggly eyebrows. They didn't really make her look, you know, like she's supposed to be this supposedly like a young naive elf and they didn't really necessarily make her look like that, I don't think. Yeah, I feel like they put a lot of attention into Galadriel and then we were like, oh, Arwen also exists. Yeah, let's talk about Galadriel for a second. So in this, in the original London version, she's played by, shoot, what's her name? Laura Michelle Kelly. Yes, Laura Michelle Kelly. Did she originate Mary Poppins? 
Or did she just yes. like famously play her for a while? I actually or can't remember because she didn't originate it on Broadway, but she might have originated in the West End in London. Yes, and she also originated a role in Finding Neverland, where she has like a very famous song. Yeah, she just one, has one of those voices that you he- once you hear it, you will hear it everywhere. Yeah, so she plays Galadriel. Galadriel's entrances on these silk. They have like all these acrobatic elves with Lothlorien as they're entering and. Side, I know we're talking about Gladrill, but real quick about Legolas. This is like the only time Legolas sings. It's the only time he opens his mouth at all. Introducing. Well, I mean, you know what? That's pretty accurate to the books and the movie. Yeah, true. Actually, (laughs) actually true. Um, So he's singing this like introduction to Lothlorien. In her eyes and undying memory of home. A land that is magical and fair When her feet came to rest Deep in a canopied glade She lifted her face And there as she danced The realm of Lothlorien she made It sounds a beautiful and angelic to me i i just like really enjoyed that part of the song is when he's like the way his like i can't even describe it. i'm gonna by yeah. the way listeners i'm gonna be like inserting a lot of like musical clips and he stuff he gives like sort of like a pre-verse being like lothlorien is a crazy place it's magic and spooky and totally secret and galadriel's the lady who will w- enter you in okay that was a bad summary but that is basically what he says and then she enters and, <laughs> and sings then like the main she enters song. so so I've already forgotten her name. Laura Michelle Kelly. Laura Michelle Kelly. Laura, so <laughs> from what I understand, listeners, I'm also going to leave links to, there's a, I discovered this at like nine o'clock last night <laughs> before we recorded, that there is a National Geographic Channel special that they did focusing on the musical, like the rehearsal process oh, yeah. She's leading like the up main to the first previews. Yeah. And they like really focus in on her. She was sort of weirdly the focus of everything. Because remember, did you also watch that like behind the scenes thing that you sent me where it was her being I like, did, hi. I did, which is funny. Okay, so she like, it, it's her being like, hi, I'm Laura Michelle Kelly. And I've got a lot of she, time before I enter as She Galadriel. was probably just like, at that point in the West End world, she was probably like the most high profile yeah, actress. I think it's that. You know? And also she basically was like, I don't enter until act two. So I've got a lot of time. That too. So she's just like walking around backstage thinking, yeah. being like, this is blah, 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 who plays Frodo. Are you having fun? And he's like, yes. And then they move on. It doesn't really give a lot of information <laughs> about the making of the show. It's just kind of her like stopping people as they're running backstage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also you can tell it's 2007 because she's wearing a wide belt directly below her breasts. And oh, I was like, love oh, it. remember when we used to dress like that? So it's a really good <laughs> time it. capsule. Oh, so perfect. <laughs> so from watching this National Geographic special, she is not a trained aerialist. That seems like something that you shouldn't make a musical theater actress do unless they are specifically trained in the art of aerial acrobatics. Yeah. Because like they were moving into the theater and it was like three days before previews and someone was like, oh, hey, if you want to uh, slow down your spinning, open your arms. And if you want to go faster, close your arms to your chest. And I'm like, that seems like something that's pretty fundamental. Yeah, I think it was brand new to her. In, and like, the song she is singing is not yeah, so she's easy. singing this very intense song, which is beautiful. All the days that remain, this is the promise I made. No shadow. 
like that for the elves, like the musical style, they easily could have chosen to do beautiful, like choral music, you know? Yeah. I don't know how, to, I don't even know how to describe what they did. It's almost it's very, more. It's like, it's sort of uh, like Celtic Enya y a yes. little. But it's more it's... elevated than that. It's like, it goes in and out of like. Uh, major and minor and harmonious and it, it, it's it's very interesting it like really plays with it almost feels like a kind of music that I'm not supposed to be listening to with like my human ears because like there are moments mm-hmm. where you're like does that it's sound very, good? It's very like otherworldly Yes but yeah. like not otherworldly in a like little 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 way like, it, like yeah, it's very it's, mature. Yeah, it's not in a weird way it's not in a bad way yeah it's just yeah it's very unique she's like I mean she had so my thing is that I think she she has a very beautiful voice I don't think that this was a great actress for the role of Galadriel because I think she sounded too light or too pretty and perfect. And I know that like Galadriel is all those things, but I also feel like there needs to be a bit more like power and oomph behind Galadriel where you're kind of like, oh, is she going to kill me? Like she can murder me, right? Her entrance is very like angelic and it doesn't really, we don't get any any moment of like oh spooky until she's like literally turning blue and glowing and being like i'm gonna kill you so there's there's like no hint of that at all but like it's kind of the fault of the music and the casting that like the vocal range of both galadriel and arwen is basically the same and their songs yeah we were saying in our um chat last night that the actresses for arwen and galadriel i think could have switched and I, I don't think it would have made a huge difference. I think both would have been fine in those roles. Yeah. You know? And it's just like, it, they just don't give them enough to do that's different enough to make them feel like separate characters. So the next song that I would say you have to listen to is uh, the really romantic gay song that we were talking oh, about yeah. uh, called Now and For Always. And this is the song that like I've had stuck in my head for the past couple days as I've been watching the show and listening to the soundtrack and stuff. Just like so it's Sam but basically kind of like a musical adaptation version of that speech he gives mm-hmm. in Two Towers where he's talking about like it's like in the old stories they told us. And I was like, oh, my God, am I going to cry? Um, and... <laughs> Now and for always, sit by the firelight's glow. Tell us an old tale we know. Tell of adventures strange and rare, never to change, ever to share. Stories we tell will cast their spell. Now and for yeah, they're talking. Yeah, they're talking about like you know, one day people will sit around a fire and tell our story. The harmonies of this song, the way that their voices blend, honestly, like the cast recording doesn't even do as good a job as they do in the live version on the bootleg. Yeah, if you can find the video of it from the like press reel, that's the thing to watch. Yeah, it's just so freaking beautiful. <laughs> And it it follows a very traditional musical theater song structure where a duet becomes a solo and in the solo you are revealed new emotion or new new information. About that character. Exactly. It it genuinely follows a like romantic song structure. It's not me they'll remember, you know. Sam, sing me a tale of the bravest of them all. 
comrade and guide at my side. Where it starts is just like two good friends having their little song, and then the minute one of the characters leaves, or in this case falls asleep, in that private moment, we are now privy to a character's more secret inner thoughts, which is exactly what happens in this number. They're like, we're good friends, and we're finally going to make it, and they're going to talk about us and tell these funny stories, and then Sam falls asleep, and then Frodo's like, and also, by the way, I love you. You're the best person in the entire world. Go to sleep. And I was like, what? He just, yeah, he starts talking about like, well, you know, they're also going to sing about Samwise the Brave, and I'm just like... Yeah, but it's generally just like, it's just him just like singing his praises, no pun intended, being like, and Samwise, who's the best one of us all. I mean, music makes everything more heightened. Like, that's why when musicals are good, they are so good, because like, Mm -hmm. the concept of musicals being that like, when you are, when you feel too much to, to talk, you must sing. And so like, even these moments of friendship feel even greater when they're sung because you're just like, ah, that uh, I feel every emotion in the world. Yes. But yeah, this song's a big winner. A lot of emotions at once. And then Gollum sings his confrontation. Hated will be master, be on top. All that nasty pain will stop. Not for him, for you and me. We'll escape him. We'll be free. Free. It's not a, like, great song necessarily to listen to, I don't no. think. If it came up on shuffle, I'd skip it. I'm sure it's be- it's much better to, like, watch. 100%. <laughs> I would skip the majority of the songs on this soundtrack. I don't even remember the ones that I haven't said, to be honest. A song I would not skip is The Road Goes On, which is the song that oh, the four yeah. hobbits sing at the very beginning when they are leaving after Gandalf says, you know, <laughs> like you said, when Mary and Pippin are like, don't forget us. Yeah, literally. <laughs> they, like, come on stage and they're like, by the way, did you forget? We're your baby cousins. And then yeah. they never say another the line ever again. Um, but they do sing that one song. The road goes on, ever, ever on. Hill by hill, mile by mile. Field by field, style by style. The road goes on, ever, ever on. It very much had the, I was like, I 100% believe that this is a song hobbits would sing while beginning an adventure. You know, this is a walking song. They have, like, the the songwriters did do a good job of, like, without the song sounding too different to the point where it's, like, jarring, they, like, found a musical language that's, like, universal, but... When you hear the elves, the elves' music sounds totally different than the music of the men, which sounds different than the music of the hobbits. And, like, yes, the instrumentation a, is quite exactly different. It. The hobbits obviously have a lot of, like, percussion and fiddles. And it just, like, sounds... It's very, uh, yeah, the hobbits are very folksy. Yeah, it's, like, pastoral. Yeah, Celtic, and then, sort of. Yes. They do a really good job on that. Like, it, it, it's funny because, like, as long as this show is, and it is long, it almost needed more music. There almost weren't enough songs. So when you look at the soundtrack, there are 18 songs. That's pretty decent. Many of the songs on here are just instrumentations because most of the musical is like underscored by music. Yeah. There's not a lot of moments where it's just people talking. The battles have music going on, elves entering on and off stage. There's music in the background. Even if no one is singing, right. there's still music going on. And there is an awful, an awful lot of talking that I feel like could have been singing 
There, there yes. are some really slow yeah. book scenes. I think like the Council of Elrond could have been an interesting song. Yeah, imagine if that had been like a like a quintet or something. Shelob totally should have had a song. I think Shelob should have been imagine? a person. Imagine, can you imagine if like Shelob had like a, be your a villain jazzy song? villain song? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my god! Oh my god! But it's okay. Oh my. Okay, wait. I'm actually stealing. I, I I thought I was inventing something, but SpongeBob SquarePants the musical actually did it. Where Squidward has a tap dance number. Can can and you his, like, imagine if she had tend- a tap? But dance can you number. imagine Shelob with tap shoes? I would die. With, with uh, the, the missed opportunity. Yeah, even like the romantic saying goodbye. I have to leave the Shire scene is a very long scene. Yeah, it's a so nice scene. on the soundtrack. It's epilogue, parentheses, farewells, but there's no Singing. actual scene. Sing- it's just an instrumentation. Yeah, like, why uh, that's couldn't playing a photo in the background. song something? It just, it, yeah, it's why sort of was strange. that not a song? I don't yeah. know. Especially since, like, if the reason for a song is a heightened moment of emotion, like, talk about a heightened moment of emotion. Like, it's just weird. Fro- yeah, Frodo, like, telling Sam what to do with their story and the book, and like, you're needed here, and like, you need to stay here. That totally should have been a song. Yeah, it's weird that it wasn't, even if it had just been a straight up reprise of Now and For Always. Now, oh my god, it's in I the would, it's in the accompaniment. Like, uh, the underscoring has shades of Now and For Always, but they don't sing it. So it like it kind of does the work because it like evokes the song. But he should have just straight up had a reprise. Yeah. Ugh. All right, when this gets revived for the world tour, we're we're adding in the reprise. We're gonna yeah, it, listeners, if you guys hear any news of the musical being revived, send it to me immediately. Yes. And I'm going to contact all of them and be like, you need to write these songs. You need to cut these things out. I think if they could figure out a way to just do two acts, yeah. it'd be fine. I mean, or they can go the complete opposite direction and do it uh, Cursed Child style and just do like a, a day one and a day two and have it be a very long show. Yeah. That you come back I'd and see th- more of. The thing of. Is, is that I would literally sit there for a seven-hour Lord of the Rings musical. The loud siren. I'm going to pause it. <sighs> well, while you're pausing, I want to circle back and say this is just the last song, really, that I have anything to say. The Cat in the Moon song mm-hmm. that they sing in The Prancing Pony, I think is so, it really hits the vibe of like, this is a bar song. This is a song that we're all joining in on. And we're having a fun time drinking. call and response and they get the whole crowd involved yeah, there's and there's dancing yeah it's really and so fun. i was like this is a great hobbit bar song it's really great basically like attending bilbo's birthday party is like my dream and i'll never have that but that's like if you were like what's your dream social event i'd be like i want to go to that i want to be like dancing outside and there's a bunch of weird little instruments that we can all take turns playing and singing our weird little songs <laughs> Like, that's all I want. And that song like epitomizes the vibe of like what I, is my ideal life. <laughs> I just want to like live in that song forever. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's just, it's very fun. I think it's a crowd. Actually, oh, I just closed. No, wait, there it is. On Spotify, the Cat in the Moon is the most popular song. Huh. Okay. Followed by, I think, Lothlorien. Now and for always is up there and same as the road goes on. So yeah. literally like the four songs that we talked about 
are. I mean, I could hum. Those are the good I ones. could hum a part of all of those songs. I could not hum you yeah. a part of any of the other songs at all. Yeah, except for that part that's hope, like I don't know. There's like a reprise that Gladriel has. That's the one that's like out of night, day, out of hope. Hi, Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh my God, are that you one's kind of. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I actually just flew in. I don't know what that song is called. The song might have been called like Hiding or something. It's called Wonder. Okay, I, Wonder. I yeah, Wonder is the correct Does that make thing. sense? Yep. Does yep. that sound familiar? That's the one. That's what I was trying to talk about. I saw the leaves of leaves of gold and leaves they grew. Of wind I sang a I would say the last thing probably we should we should talk about are like the staging and the the set and lighting and you know costumes, costumes and stuff. Yeah, Galadriel had crazy platform shoes. Oh, what? so I don't. So that's something that if you watch this National Geographic special, the shoes are a huge focus. They're like they're their own character. She is on these like metal platform shoes, and at one point, like. Her ankle like wobbles as she's like walking down the tiers. And also they're like testing it with the smoke. And they're like, she can't see where she's walking because there's all it this smoke. It was scary. And the shoes were not necessary. I think they cut, they eventually they cut them. They must have been because you can literally not even see feet in her costume. Because I, th- I think in that special, the there, there's some drama, guys, because the first day, see, I would actually, I would really recommend watching this special because you see how many elements and pieces they were trying to pull together literally like Days. the last oh, minute. Yeah. I was reading a blog post from somebody who is not a professional theater critic, but as like a person who saw a ton of theater. And it was great. It was like a really honest review of the show. And they were saying that one of the things that like really killed the show was that in an early preview, a cast member fell like the, really visibly. Like he fell like from one platform to another and was like grabbing his leg and screaming because he was in a lot of pain. That's why um, I read on Wikipedia that there was a cast member who broke his leg and they had to stop previews for a bit. Yes. So when that word got out, basically like it killed the show dead in the water because like everybody loves drama everybody loves to like have an easy target lest we forget spider-man exactly the musical. although spider-man was that actually was a fatal. disaster um but yeah like that happened early in previews and then once the word got out about that everyone was like the show's doomed the show is cursed the show is doomed it's very sad yeah it's so funny because like i started this section wanting to go into like a lot of positives because I think this is where the show really excels and then like we just went into this like terrible story about like a cast member like breaking their leg sorry (laughs) it's all part of the story though like that like I want to tell the story of this musical yeah one of the things that I thought was really cool is that the orcs and Urukai were like on these stilts I don't I don't know what the words are for them but they're like bouncy stilts and they're and some of them were like doing flips and then they also had these like stilts and like see them in like on their arms. there's like a there's like yeah. a, a specific kind of acrobatic thing where, where they're like they're like rubberized or maybe they're like spring loaded but if you jump they like yeah give you like super air when you spring back off of them they seem very dangerous 
but they're really cool. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, just hearing that one story about the cast member, I don't know how that wasn't like a cast member every day because they're doing all of these amazing feats of the human body, basically. The, in the other show. thing that I was reading about in that same blog post that was basically saying like, why was it such a flop? Was they were saying that whenever you went to go see the show, either in Toronto or in London, whenever you opened up your playbill, a like fountain of little pieces of white paper would fall out being like at at this performance the role of blank will be played by blank and they oh, were like lots whether of understudies or, and, yes and, and they um, were like whether or not it was swings. because people were uh injured or just the, the physicality of the show was really hard and people just couldn't do eight shows a week or whatever it couldn't transcend the feeling of like you're not getting the real show because you're not seeing the real cast which is of course yeah. like a problem in theater just in general but like mm-hmm. because it was so many people and you'd see like 10 roles all being covered people would go in and be like ugh. Well, then what's the point of this even? Yeah. Exactly. And if they had found a way to like advertise it more like seeing Cirque du Soleil or something like that where they're like, hey, the show is not doable by a person eight times a week. Like the cast will rotate. Yeah. There's it's not should, because I was they're seeing say, the should have a rotating cast. Yeah. And you know, I'm sure it was like for people who don't know, swings are kind of like an understudy in, an, in a big ensemble cast, but they are responsible for covering multiple parts like within an ensemble. I can't imagine what it would be like to understudy or be a swing for a show like this where the like there's acrobatics, there's aerialists, there's like people on stilts. Oh yeah, if you're in the wrong start part of the stage, like the stage will open up underneath you and you will just like yeah. die. Like it's it it would be very stressful. So I think to their credit where they were able to at least pull it off where like no one was getting their legs crushed by you know every day (laughs) oh my god are you dying we have to get your understudy in yeah understudy oh just kidding i don't have anyone another thing i want to talk about are the puppetry like the black riders and the horses those were so cool those were like pre-war horse too but this was sort of like the proto-war horse and i was very impressed i just i love a good stage puppet not like Avenue Q puppet, but like, oh my God, what's it freaking called? Lion King. God, why can I not think of that? Like, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. But yeah, Lion, all the puppets in Lion like King the are Lion so cool. King puppetry that they use. Like, how do you, you know, represent horses and balrogs and a giant spider? And how are you going to use your craft, your creativity to piece together parts of the show that are not that we're not capable of translating with human beings, you know? Yeah. Actually, one of the only things I was a little bit disappointed about because so much of the stagecraft was cool was that every time we saw the Eye of Sauron, it was just merely projection. And I was kind of like, hmm, I feel like we could have had a cool Eye of Sauron and we like kind of cheaped out on that one. Like like Mm -hmm. even if it was just like the tower falling or something. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we didn't really get that. Nothing. It was just always like a projection of the eye. And I was like, Hmm, we could have had a cooler eye. Definitely, that's something that could have been better. I agree. And same with the Ents. For the most part, I would say it was all really well done. And also, like, the first time, if you're watching the bootleg, you can, like, hear the story reacting as if there is a writer, but you don't see it quite yet. And then there's, like flashes of the footage from a press reel inserted into it and my jaw literally dropped because there's these like strobe almost like lightning effects going on as they're like moving and 
there was one point where I was just like, the lighting here is so cool. And like the way that they're able to achieve this effect with just, I mean, like even watching this National Geographic special, hearing like the lighting designer talk about like, yeah, we have like 200 different settings yeah, that we can program. Really and I'm cool. just like, that's incredible that like people know how to do that. And also like, it seems like nothing went unexamined in terms of like setting tone setting the how we're going to make the audience feel like that seemed so much more considered than like the literal plot of the show that it was like kind of sad yeah but like they they took it so seriously even like it's not like a shocking effect but even in like the road goes on they're just kind of like walking on a turntable yeah the turntable but they're like making the scenery change and the lighting change and everything and like you really get the sense that they're journeying like it's impressive yeah. it's it's not like jaw dropping but it's very heavily considered just speaking of the the turntable and the stage and stuff it might have been in the national geographic special or a different video where someone was talking about the stage and how when you start the story you're in the shire everything's completely flat completely still and as they go on the, further on this journey and get more into danger the stage is doing more things where first it starts with it it's just a turntable and they're just walking and then parts of it start rising as you know more intense action is coming to the point where in Helm's Deep there are all these different platforms on different levels and they're all moving yeah and, and like Urukai are jumping from platform to platform and it's like yeah it's on, on the bouncy still <laughs> chaotic and yeah. I was just like that's really that's really brilliant that they're like able to do so so much and say so much about a theater story just with the way that like you create the set and the stage yeah it's really cool like it's one of those things where it's like it's mu- it's very easy to say like i just wish the musical was better because like what they built around it is spectacular yeah so that that's why as we i think probably move towards wrapping up this conversation <laughs> now i think that like this is a musical that is a and a lot of the like reviews that i was reading talked about this too that like this was a really big spectacle to behold and to like witness with your own eyes and be like that's amazing but like when you looked at the finer details you're like actually it didn't really make a lot of sense no <laughs> And it's like, it's like what I said earlier, just like, if you're like a mega fan, you're probably going to be disappointed because inevitably it will disappoint you with one of your favorite moments being cut or one of your whole favorite characters being cut. Do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, I know that there's a person out there who's like, where was Wormtongue? Do you know what I mean? Like, just like one person who's like the world's I mean, biggest fan I of Wormtongue. I like, where's Bill the Pony? Exactly. Where is you Bill know? the Pony? But do you know what I'm we saying? Like, had, you know what? You know what they should have done? Here I am talking about like, oh, they had all these amazing puppets and animals animatronics and like silk sheet effects to make like the river and for Bill the Pony it just should have been classic two guys in a horse costume. I thought you were gonna say just get a real horse on stage. <laughs> just get a real <laughs> I was like, horse. Oh, okay. No, it should be two actors in a horse costume, one of them, you know, bent over. Yeah. I would say that because they're not that important anyway, and the reveal of them wasn't even that exciting, I think we should introduce Bill the Pony, and then suddenly we find out it was Mary Mary and Pippin sharing a costume, and it (laughs) it was never Bill the Pony all along. Oh my god. And they're just like, hey, we were following you. We dressed up as your horse. Gotcha. And then they're on the journey with them. That's my pitch. (laughs) Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> because they don't really do anything else after that, so they might as well have a fun little entrance. That's the thing, it's just like it's just not faithful enough for people who like love it and it's and it's too confusing for people who've never 
who've never seen yeah, it. Yeah, right? it can't I be your first introduction. I think if you were to go into it with a gen, go even like mega Lord of the Rings fans, go into it thinking like this is just going to be a very light telling of this story and it's more about the experience of the musical as a whole rather than the story itself the story itself amounts to like it would be like if a person hadn't seen the movies in about seven years and you ask them to tell you what they remember right yeah and like they're not wrong it's pretty equivalent at this point if you were to ask me to retell what happened happened to the movies Um, it's been i'm pretty sure if you did you'd include faramir so I would, I would honestly, Faramir would be the main character. I'd be like, yeah. So at the Council of Elrond, <laughs> exactly, there's this really beautiful, perfect prince named Faramir, and then we skip, skip, uh, skip, he, skip, skip, and then Faramir comes a, back. <laughs> he has a brother named Boromir. I don't know. He doesn't show up at all. Weird. <laughs> um, it's just Faramir, and he is not at all tempted by the ring, and he actually is really helpful with Frodo. Um, and he is able to save Merry and Pippin from the orcs. And like, can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> but yeah, that's it, that is sort of what it's like. It's sort of like a person being like, yeah. Um, they start in the Shire. Bilbo like disappears or something. Oh, Gandalf actually, comes. Sorry, real quick, I want to talk about the illusion that they do when Bilbo disappears. Yeah, for Bilbo and also so Frodo cool. too. Oh yeah, it's something that like I'm happy for that to remain stage magic you know i mean but like, i thought i understood how they did it with bilbo do not understand how they did it with frodo frodo so what's happening they're in the prancing pony and the song has just ended and the crowd so this is what my friend in high school and i would do when we would go see theater people are like singing while they're you know doing set changes as we would go distraction from scene change distraction from scene <laughs> exactly. change that is what that <laughs> and, was um, and so, like, they're still, like, singing a little as they're, like, carrying, like, benches yeah. off stage and stuff. Meanwhile, Frodo's in the middle of the stage as people are, like, walking around him. And he's looking at the ring. And then he puts it on. And I so what I think happened with Frodo, granted, I'm only looking at it from this one angle that the camera has. So maybe if I were to watch it from a different perspective in the theater, I would be like, oh, no, I can still see him. But, like, what I think happens is as the crowd passes him and he puts the ring on, he ducks in with them really quickly and like swoops off to the side with them so you think he's disappeared but like for Bilbo he's under like a canopy because it's like his birthday so there's like 111th birthday like banner and stuff and he's like between two poles what I think happened for Bilbo disappearing is that same thing they did with like Beauty and the Beast they developed something with mirrors where there's a little kid's head on a tray. That sounds morbid. But he's playing chip, but you can't see his body. Obviously, his body is inside the tray, but the tray appears to be the the serving cart. Do you know what I mean? The serving cart appears to be see-through because you can see through it. And it's just like because they have a mirror reflecting another mirror. So the mirror that's reflecting the back of the stage isn't reflecting the kid's body. I think that's what's going on with the Bilbo one because he's sort of static and he could be between two mirrors and like shine a light on it and then suddenly he's gone. Yeah, but for Frodo, yeah, you take a no mirror away or clue. something. For, yeah, and in the National Geographic special, they ask him, they're like, how, and he's like, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to let it be magic, you know? I do like I appreciate that. Oh, yeah, I, I respect that. I really respect but, that. But like, that's so cool. Anyway, I mean, <laughs> I like, forget what we were talking I, about. I like... I've never gotten to do a show where I've, like, had to learn, like, an insane skill that I've never had before. I did once have to learn how to fight 
with swords. And that was really fun. And I took it really seriously. So I can only imagine how seriously I would take it if they were like, you're going to enter on silks. I'd be like, this is my life now. I want that. (laughs) I'm still just like so concerned for like her health and well-being. And because like you watch the special and she's like, her shoulders are hurting. And I'm like, girlfriend, you haven't even started the show yet. This is not healthy. Like this is not going to go on for, and it, you know, it didn't. And it didn't. Thank God. And so it ended after one year and one month. And pretty much all of the original cast did not renew their contracts after the first year. And I think that says a lot. (laughs) Totally. I mean, it seems like a show that's really exhausting to do regardless yeah um yeah we need to end i mean we need to go back to saying nice things because i want to end this on a positive note which because like i still very much enjoyed like watching it and listening to the music i mean like i love musicals so i like i am pro anybody being like i'm gonna make this a musical i can't necessarily say i'm going to like it but i am pro the idea of it i'm like i'm like show me baby like like knock my socks off I'm so excited and there are definitely parts of this that like feel so right and it's either the huge spectacle moments or the extremely small personal character moments the problem is really that they adapted the wrong Tolkien book should have just if been this the Hobbit. team with this amount of money did the Hobbit it would be running it would still plus. be running 100 can we can I like write them I'm gonna write them I, I would love Just to do see the Hobbit it. musical I, I would love to see it and they and like the Hobbit is one of those things that like if it had to get cut down there are parts of the the book that like it doesn't oh my God. matter so much to the but very but nature can you of the imagine characters. so knowing what we like even just like the little that we saw of the you know, writers in the Balrog and um, Shelob. Can you imagine like what they would do for Smaug? It would be so cool. I would die Incredible. to see a huge Smaug. You would have. They would have real fire in shooting into the audience. 100%. There would be lawsuits everywhere. <laughs> yes. Oh my god, the barrel scene. It would be all would be really way good. better than anything Peter Jackson did. Hundred percent. I, I think that's the problem is that people just are like, no, 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 we have to do the big one. But the problem is it's the big one. Yeah, it's like that's not meant for the stage. Honestly, extremely hard for it to be meant for the screen, you know, like even as great a job of Peter that Peter Jackson did, there are still, you know, pieces of the story that have been left out. And so like like, that's how grand the story is, you know, real quick before we wrap before we close out and everything. I do want to say I have been made aware of a different Lord of the Rings musical called Fellowship the Musical, which seems to be much more like a parody, a very Potter musical type adaptation. This is the one that I met that I messaged you about and was like, don't I just found out there's a different Lord of the Rings musical, not to be confused with anything else. I think People had messaged me and been like, do you know about Fellowship the Musical? And I probably assumed that they were just talking about this musical. Uh-huh. So now that I know about that musical, I'll try to maybe dive into that as well. Wow. But just so I, you know, you don't need to message me and be like, but do you know about this musical? Because I, I do now. I do I know I wish about it now. that I could find any footage of a show that I saw in New York that was the best thing I've like maybe ever seen that was called Lord of the Rings Abridged and it was three maybe four guys who with like the most mundane props in the world did like an, a super super abridged version of of all of Lord of the Rings and by mundane props I mean like no budget like this not like men on stilts it was like toilet paper roll with fans and uh it was so cool. It was you know so what cool. I want? 
I want the people who did puffs to do a Lord of the Rings play. It was very it was very similar in tone to that. For people who don't know, Puffs is a off-Broadway play adaptation of the Harry Potter series, but it's from the perspective of the Hufflepuffs. And so I think a Lord of the Rings adaptation would be from the perspective of Merry and Pippin. Like, you just follow them oh, the whole time. That's my... I mean, like, is anybody in the world more equipped to write this than me? I don't think so. <laughs> if I could get Let's the rights, get on it. Let's I'm get on, on it. top of it. Well, Allie, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having I, me do this. I promise I'll stop harassing you about Lord of the Rings. No. This makes it sound like I, like, forced you to be here. I literally was just like, I know I've asked you to come on a lot, but do you have but this is like to come I, on again? I think the last time I was on, I was like, when are we going to talk about the musical? So, like, this was a dream. Genuinely. I had the best time. Well, thank you so much um what would you like to share with our audience and where can they find you oh, on the internet boy okay you can find me at miss alice nutting m-s-a-l-i-c-e-n-u-t-t-i-n-g that's on instagram and twitter i don't do anything in- interesting on instagram so don't even bother but you can follow me on twitter i do um musical improv in new york on a team called rumple teaser they're great and the shows are so fun uh, we perform monthly at a theater called Asylum here in New York. Uh, obviously, I am recording this in December of 2021. And uh, uh, this week has not been great for COVID in New York City. So that information might not be true. Might be outdated. <laughs> might not be yeah, true by the weeks. time that you hear this. Uh, I can't guarantee that we will still be performing live so you'll have to just google rumple teaser musical improv all of that is wonderful it'll be linked in the episode description listeners so you don't have to do any googling no google it (laughs) (laughs) um oh I i should also say that like any resources that i may have referenced um during our conversation or things that i watched in order to prepare for this episode i'll make sure to link in the episode description so if you're someone who you really want to do a deep dive into this musical That'll be there for you. It's just so, so anyway, it's really funny because last night I w- it just like hit me. I was like, it's so funny because when I started this podcast, I knew nothing. And now I've just talked for two hours about the West End Lord of the Rings musical after spending probably five or six hours worth of preparation of like yeah. watching the show and and doing research and documentaries you went from knowing nothing to basically being able to well actually even the most well actually of people in the world like you could out well actually almost anybody i i don't think i could because like i know nothing about the silmarillion and also at this point it's been so long since i finished reading the books that i'm like i don't know you could tell me that bill the pony actually was was married in 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 costume (laughs) yeah 100 (laughs) percent. that really happened um, I will oh never, I will never know anything about the Similarian, and that is just like a fact of life that I've accepted about myself, and I'm totally cool with it. Well, if you are interested, after I finish doing all of these random things, I will be diving into the Silmarillion Ooh, with the tagline, I'm reading the Silmarillion so you don't have to. I mean, so that's very brave of you. That might be the time to There are ch- no hobbits in. in it, which really is a, that was a major draw for me about all the other franchises. So to know that there's just none, that's tough. That's a tough oh, pill shoot. for me to Sorry, you said hobbits and that just reminded me. I just wanted to say real quick, I think it was a little goofy. The hobbits, how they costumed them, they gave them like fake bellies I and fake hated butts. It. They were trying to like mess with their proportions so they looked smaller than everybody on stage. But the truth is they all looked like they had a load full of duty diapers. Like, you know, like when a little yeah. kid, you can tell that they've had a, a yes. uh, they've gone number two in their diaper because it's like heavy in the back. Yeah. Every single hobbit had a duty it was, diaper. Definitely an attempt to be like, this is how we're distinguishing the hobbits 
versus like Aragorn, who is a person. Ver- like the G- like Gimli did look like I believe that he was a dwarf, even though he didn't his like height wasn't right. a dwarf, you know. And like Legolas, I don't, I have no memory of what he looks like, yep. but <laughs> I have no memory of this place. <laughs> but like I think that was their way of trying to differentiate between like the different kinds yeah. of people. And I did not like anyway, it. But yeah, <laughs> I just thought it was. I was like, this is just really goofy. And silly, and like now, you know, Frodo and Sam are having this very serious moment, but like their butt is moving. Yes. Like it's, it's a like Tyler a Perry it's movie. Like a, yes, yes, yes. They all had Medea butt, a hundred percent. It was not anyway. It was not for the better. That's what I'm talking about as a proud member of WBE. You can go to WBE.org to learn more about the network and see the rest of our shows like Perspective C. The cover art is by Vaishon Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at Vaishon Designs. You can get merch for That's What I'm Talking About by going to tpublic.com slash user slash talking about pod. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Tolkien About Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at MCWhatsUp and Instagram at MCTurnDownForWhat. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash TolkienAboutPod to explore the different tiers and perks that are available. You can become a sponsor of the podcast like Danny. Danny, thank you so much for your support of the podcast. I very much appreciate it. And also remember that when you sign up to become a patron, all level patrons get access to the monthly newsletter. And this month's newsletter is much more put together than the December one, which came out halfway through the month because I was sick and I didn't have a schedule. But this month, we'll give a sneak peek at the episodes that are to come and the guests that are to come because y'all, I, I'm, I'm much more on the ball with the planning. 2022, ain't seen nothing yet. No, that's a lie. Take it all back. We are walking quietly into this year. And speaking of what's to come and getting a sneak peek at the rest of the month, next week we will be covering Tolkien, the 2019 biopic about our homeboy J.R.R. Tolkien, who I 100% forgot that his name is not actually Jolkin Rolkin Rolkin. I wish that I could share more information with you about where to access Tolkien. Unfortunately, it looks like it's only streaming on Hulu Premium. So if you have that, all five of you people out there in the world who have a premium Hulu subscription, congratulations, you can watch Tolkien for free. Otherwise, I would suggest just renting it. It's $4 on YouTube, Amazon videos, whatever it is that you want to watch it on. As always, if you like what you're listening to, please rate and review. You can, of course, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and now you can also rate the podcast on Spotify. So if you are listening on Spotify right now, please pause the podcast, scroll up, give it a five-star rating. I would really appreciate that. All that being said, do you have any parting words for the audience? Um, yeah, keep keep your eyes out for a Frodo Lives pin. I will pay you handsomely. Ask your weird uncles. <laughs> Ask your weird uncles. And that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs>